Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Let's begin today's program with a question. Ten years from now, will you be ten years older and living your dream or just ten years older? What if you could change your relationship with your dreams, establish realistic goals, and then initiate action to achieve those goals? What if you could discover once and for all how and why you so often sabotage yourself and learn how to get out of your own way? Well, my guest today, Dr. Barbara Flasker, is here to help us become unstuck and to move forward to accomplish our goals. And today's program is all about late bloomers, folks like you and me who long to become unstuck in order to have fun, prosper, and serve others throughout our second half of life. And if you're a late bloomer or aspire to become one, congratulations. You are about to embark upon the most positive and eventful interval of your entire adult life. And to begin our discussion, your goals for the future include additional education. Your kids are back in school. But guess what? In this world of constant change, back to school isn't just for kids anymore, is it? It's also back to school for folks like you and me who want to update our skills, supercharge our careers, or perhaps transition into a whole new career. So let's talk about some cost-effective paths to worthwhile continuing education. And uh, are you aware that a few employers tuition assistance? Have you checked this out with your present employer? And hey, in this internet age, you may be able to go back to school right in the comfort of your own home or apartment. And it's not just these uh, new online-only colleges. Uh, I've seen recent ads for online classes from Arizona State and Purdue University. And my guest today, Dr. Barbara Flasker, spent nine years as a career advisor to adults seeking forward momentum when she was employed by a major university. And she indeed qualifies herself as a late bloomer, having in her 40s overcome fear, low self-esteem, and paralysis of analysis. She earned her doctorate in adult education or adult development and education, believe it or not, when she was 56. And after being downsized out of a prior job, she was hired at age 64 and retired at 75, only to launch her current chapter as an author, speaker, and certified professional coach. And she's author of the acclaimed book, Simple Ways to Transform Your Life, Lessons Learned by a Late Bloomer. And hello, Dr. Plasker, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hi, Roy. Thank you for inviting me, and um, hello to your audience. Well, let's talk uh, first about additional education. You inform us that your undergraduate GPA was an underwhelming 2.44, yet later in life you went on to earn both a master's and a doctorate. What inspired you to go on to earn these degrees, and what positive impact have they had upon your life? 
I've, I've been a seeker uh, since um, about 35 years old. I had been through a, a difficult time in my life when there was a lot of uh, death in my family and I had young children. It was overwhelming. Uh, but at that point, I just decided that I can't live this way for the rest of my life. I have to take charge of my life. That's great. And so I did. Um, so some of the things I did, my degree was in biology. My undergraduate degree was in biology. Oh. And I chose that because I had a crush on my biology teacher. <laughs> Perhaps not the best reason to. No, not. I wanted to be an art major. So I, when I was about 40, no, yeah, when I was 40, I completed a degree, an art degree. Oh, great. So I was fulfilling a childhood dream at that yeah. point. Oh, that's great. And then I was still not comfortable and confident in myself. I couldn't even send out a resume. But I started a, with that art degree. I finally I started a business uh, called um, Closet Works, and I started to design oh. people's closets. Oh, great. And I then I started to teach, <laughs> I teach. I taught um, adult, an adult education class called "One of These Days I'll Get Organized" oh. to, to kind of market my business. And uh, and then I realized that what I really loved to do was to work in, with adults in the classroom. So I took a lot of detours, but I finally found my passion and my purpose. And I think oh, that's one of the things that we need to do is to figure out what our purpose is in life. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's say that you're in your mid-40s and haven't been in the classroom for over 25 years. You know you need additional education to advance or transform your life and career, but fear is holding you back. You weren't a great student back then, and you can't imagine taking tests and competing for grades with sharp minds young enough to be your son or daughter. Can you offer any suggestions on how to overcome fear and plunge into adult education to fulfill those dreams? I think it's important to get support. When I was working at the university, I, when you were t giving my bio, I was remembering a person that came into my office. Mm. She was so nervous, so upset um, about but she said, I have, um, I have tuition assistance from my employer. I want to go back to school. Yeah. She had a little speech prepared, you know, she was, why she wanted to do that. I didn't need to hear all that, but she needed to say it. Yeah. I knew how nervous she was. and. It reminded me of a friend of mine who, when we went out to lunch, we were business partners. Um, she took a piece of paper out of her, her bag, and she started to cry. Mm. And I, I looked at the paper, and it was an application to a community college. Oh, I see. She was a, uh, a registered nurse. She was very successful in her career as, an, her as a nurse, but she wanted to go and get her degree. And I asked her. She couldn't even put her name in the spot on the, on the application. Mm. She just was so overwhelmed with fear. When we talked about it, we realized, she realized that when she was a kid, they moved every year. Mm. And every year she had to go into a new school. Oh, wow. And, and she had to make adjustments and she had to find friends and she, it was never a good experience. Yeah. So going back to school for her was traumatic. So she, we had to figure that out and she could overcome that and fill out the application. And she went on to get her, her, um, her, her bachelor's degree. But this woman that was in my office at the university, I could tell how nervous she was. And she called me back the next day to ask me a question. And I told her this story about my friend. Oh. And she said to me, you know, when I got out to the car, I cried. Huh. When she left my office, she was crying because it was so terrifying to her. Oh, wow. 
So, you know, we, there were so many reasons why we have fear that we don't understand. So it's yeah. really important to get some kind of support to help you figure these things out. Yeah, you tell us somewhere in the, your material that once you figure out what you're afraid of and what's causing the fear, it's much easier to get a hold of it and to overcome it. Yes, because we make up stories in our head. Yeah. They're not true. They're not real. No. But they feel real to us. Yeah. Yeah, and that unconscious, subconscious mind drags these things up that may have happened, like you said, when the girl was a child and transferred to new schools and it's still holding her back as an adult. Exactly. Here that doesn't make any sense. Well, let's turn to the broader topic covered by your excellent new book, Simple Ways to Transform Your Life. First of all, what do you mean by the term late bloomer? How old do you have to be to become one? You know, it's funny. I... Um I, was, I have a Facebook page called It's Never Too Late to Bloom, and I post things on there about late bloomers. And recently I came across an article in Reuters, a Reuters article, about Glenn Close. Oh, she's, yeah. This new movie, um, The Wife, and she says in the, she's quoted in the article as saying, I'm 71 years old, and I'm just starting to feel comfortable in my own skin. Wow. She's been a successful actress for a number of years. Right, right. So the, the the point of that this story is she didn't wait till she was 71 to start. Yeah. She started her career as an actress, even though she wasn't sure of what she was doing. But she knew she could learn along the way. So you could be, you know, 35, 45, 55, 65, 71, and still figure out what you want to do with yeah. your life. Well, in addition to fear, that kind of leads us into the next question. So many of us are held back by frustration and lack of self-confidence, which uh, Glenn Close overcame that. But uh, uh, where where we are in life and our, our career is much lower than maybe we imagined we'd be at our current age. How in the world do we overcome our sense of regret? and beating ourselves up over what we have failed to accomplish thus far and instead bring to mind and feel genuine pride over what we have, in fact, achieved. How do we do that? Well, I'll give you an example from my own life. I once had a, a therapist that said to me, Barbara, what are you going to do with all the space in your head when you stop being so negative? <laughs> And I said to myself, frees up a lot of room there. Yeah, it? and I, I said to myself, I'm not negative. And then I went home and I started to think about it. Mm. And I realized that 15% of my life was not so hot. It needed to be improved. Yeah. And when I went to see him, that's all I talked about was mm. that 15%. I was looking for help to get, you know, overcome the, this 15%. Yeah. But then I realized that if 80, the rest of my life, 85% is okay, it's good, why don't I focus on the 85%? Amen. And make, make that 100%. Because yeah, when I was looking at like the 15%, that was 100% of what I saw. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, what are some uh, common behavior patterns that impact our lives and stop us from moving forward? I think you've sort of covered one right there, thinking about the negatives, but... Uh, what are some of these other behavior patterns that hold us back? Yeah, I, I've, I've sabotaged myself. You know, I say I'm going to do something, and then I find ten other things to do. Um, I like to sit, sort my socks in my drawer, in my sock drawer, or clean out my garage. Or I, I'm not a person that likes to clean, but if I if there's something I really want to do, but I'm afraid to do it, or I'm I I, I can't get myself to do it, I'll, I'll procrastinate. Yeah. 
Well, to accomplish our goals, we all need a clear vision of where we want to end up. How can we first create a vision and then bring the vision to life while enjoying the entire journey from here to there? Mm. Any suggestions on that? Yeah, um, I think finding a sense of purpose is really important. Yeah. Uh, and my, my purpose is, I finally figured it out, is to help people reach their full potential. So when, when I was, my first job was as a driving instructor. Oh. As an adult. And then um, I did the closet designs. Yeah. And then I realized when I got to the university that both of those jobs were helping me, were getting me to help people reach their full potential. In the case of the driving, I was, liber- I was helping liberate women. I was teaching women who were dependent on other people to get them around, yeah. start being more independent. In the closet business, I was helping people reach their full potential in their, in their closets, in their homes. Yeah. And so the rest of my life has been more powerful in the terms of how I, reach people, I help people reach their full potential. Yeah. So uh, my dissertation, I, I developed an um, adult education program at a homeless shelter. Oh, that's great. And I was helping, and the people that I was introduced to as they came into the shelter were so hope, felt so hopeless and in despair. They couldn't even think about education, so this job for me was a real challenge. And I, I had to test them, and they had very low scores in, in reading and math. And so I hired a reading teacher and a math teacher. When I announced the classes, nobody showed up. They just didn't think about that. Yeah. But like a miracle happened. Huh. Uh, this was a facility that had um, um, a, a, a addiction counselors on site oh. and mental health counselors on site. And one day I noticed the women at the shelter going into the office of the addiction counselor. Yeah. And I said, what are they all going in there for? And when I checked it out, she made jewelry on the side, the, the oh. counselor, and they were looking at the jewelry. Oh. And I hired the addiction counselor to teach jewelry making. Oh, that's a, such a great move. And it, it just um, it changed the whole um, energy of the place because they would go in and they would make jewelry. One woman even said she was wearing a bracelet on a bus, and somebody asked her where she, that she made. Somebody asked her where she got the bracelet. And she said she made it, oh. and she sold the bracelet on the bus to this woman. Yeah. That's a great start to a promising career, I guess, as a jewelry making. Well, it was more than that. It was, yeah. was, it was and I, what I did was ask them, well, how do you learn things? How did you learn to cook? You know, because yeah. they, they like to cook. So we also had a cooking club. And so they, they started to pay attention to their own process the process of learning um, how to make jewelry or cooking. Before that, they thought they couldn't learn anything. They had yeah. That's no so motive. important. You now have that, just like we said before, you're focusing on what uh, you can take pride in rather than all the shortcomings you have, and it makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Exactly. Well, uh, when can we condition? Uh, you, you say we can condition ourselves to respond instead of reacting. What's the difference between responding and reacting? Uh, reacting is uh, go on. You're on automatic pilot. You do oh. what you've always done. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody says something to you, you pick a fight with them because you've always picked a fight with them. Yeah. Or, but if you start to pay attention to what your mind is telling you, and I, I have this um, process of uh, I call um, uh, 
uh, creating change. Uh, let me just, um, I have my book here. Uh, the steps are observation, awareness, acceptance, change. Then when you go through this, these steps, you start to observe your thinking. Uh, you become aware in the moment after doing observation for a while. You become aware in the moment of when you're going to pick that fight because the person said something to you. And if you accept that this is, you're going to always do this because you've always done it, yeah. you can change. You can then say, oh, this time I'm not going to do that again. Why gonna, have I always done it? <laughs> right. I'm going to do it for something different here. Yeah. I'm going to walk away or yeah. I'm going to ignore the guy. Yeah. And once you, you do that, you, you have a choice, and you can choose. That's the choice I just mentioned. You can yeah. choose to react or respond. Yeah. And when you're responding, you get, you're, you're free. You're free from uh, all the negative stuff that's been implanted in you through the years. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Well, let's briefly discuss your new book, Simple Ways to Transform Your Life. What inspired you to write this book in your 70s? <laughs> Aren't you busy enough with your consulting and all the other things you've done? Yeah, but, you know, there, there, there's language out there that, that people are hearing, that they can do certain things. That they can meditate. They can keep a journal. Yeah. They can do things like that. And um, people hear the words, but they don't know how to apply it. Yeah, and in my what I wanted to do was give a, a voice to all of these things that we're hearing about, and show a practical way to put it, implement it in your life. So, my book is 26 chapters, and each one is based on a, a concept. Yeah, and the first one is acceptance. Well, how do you accept? You know, it's 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 a word, but you you really don't know how to put it into your life. But if you do the steps of observing, observing, and the story I tell is, you know, being told that I was close to being a diabetic. Yeah. And I, I said, it must be a mistake. The test is wrong. I didn't want to know that. Yeah. So, so I denied it. Until I've I had a similar experience with that, but <laughs> I won't get into that. But. Yeah. And, you know, really, at, at several years later, I said, I tested my blood and I, after a, a high-carb meal. And I said, she must be right. The doctor must be right, and I got to do something about this. So I went from denial to acceptance. Well, that's great. Now, you, I noticed at the end of each chapter, you include an exercise, which is what makes the book so valuable to me, because that, that that's the practical aspect. So that you, if you actually perform an exercise, it's like you're doing rather than just reading all these concepts, like. Uh, about meditation, et cetera, et cetera. You're right. actually doing something. So I, I love your book. Where's the best place that listeners can go to uh, preview and purchase your book? The book is on Amazon. Um, it's called Simple Ways to Transform Your Life, Lessons Learned by a Late Bloomer. Yeah. Uh, you could also put my name in, Barbara Plasker, P-L-A-S as in Sam, K-E-R, and my book should come up. Yeah, it came right up for me, but uh, regardless of our finances, career status, and relationships, very few of us want to remain forever where we are now. And yeah, that's a very good question I came up with. <laughs> well, the question you started out with, where, uh, 10 years from now, are you going to be the same in the same place you are today? Yeah. Because I've, yeah. Had, I've had that experience myself, you know, wanting to, hearing my, my thoughts saying, it had to do with my, my relationship. Yeah. Oh, God, i got to go home to that house today. And then 
you know, three years later, I heard myself saying the same thing. Coming, these all were trips coming back from the airport. Yeah. And and finally, I realized if you don't do something about this now, Barbara, you're going to be the same, saying the same thing ten years from now. Yeah. Well, your website is uh, barbaraflasker.com if someone wants to learn more about your uh, coaching and your uh, your book and everything else. Thank you, Roy. To conclude this segment, does the idea of staying where you are the rest of your life excite you or depress you? And I would venture to guess, regardless of our finances, current career status, and relationships, very few of us want to remain forever precisely where we are right now. And furthermore, in this modern world of constant change, very few of us will have that option anyway. And if you're like me, sometimes you may feel like a common fly held prisoner in a spider's web, a victim unable to break free. But as Dr. Flasker points out, you are both the fly and the spider web. We are trapped so many times in ways we have created, often unconsciously, to keep ourselves safe. And at the same time, you are far from satisfied, trapped by thoughtless reaction to events, people, and situations that somehow feel threatening to you. And as Dr. Plasker has described today, there is a way out. What if you had the courage to live your life true to yourself, not the life others or your unconscious mind is assigned to you? And what if you felt competent and safe enough to step out of your comfort zone? And transportation or transformation can occur when you set your sights on a clear target and focus in to discover the habits, patterns, and mindsets that prevent you from moving forward. And when you do that, you too can become a late bloomer, and you can do that in your 40s, 50s, 60s, or even like Dr. Flasker in your 70s, any age. And thanks a million, Barbara Flasker, for your inspirational advice and best of success with your book. Thank you so much, Roy. I appreciate it, and I'd love to meet some of your audience uh, audience members uh, on the phone. Let me begin our next segment with a shocking and deeply disturbing uh, disturbing revelation. Statistics demonstrate that 70% of your family wealth could be lost when you pass it along to your kids, and it could be gone completely by the time it passes to your grandkids. And this also is highly disturbing if you anticipate a uh, sizable inheritance from your elderly parents. And it's not just the financial loss, of course. Perhaps of greater concern is the devastation that occurs within the family unit and relationships. And as my next guest puts it, the sad fact is money and people within families so often are a toxic combination. And worst case, a permanent estrangement between once-loving siblings. But here's some good news. My guest, financial advisor Kip Colson, is here to explain why sibling money squabbles and intergenerational bleeding of assets are avoidable tragedies and to suggest how you and I can uh, prevent or diffuse family financial conflicts and create and sustain a family legacy. And Clifford Kip Colson is a highly qualified to offer this advice. He's been a bank vice president, army officer, and commercial real estate developer. Since 1994, a financial advisor, planner, investment manager, and family wealth coach, and his business family wealth leadership counsels high net worth individuals on building a lasting family legacy, and he's author of the acclaimed 2018 book, 
You can have it all, wealth, wisdom, and purpose, strategies for creating a lasting legacy and strong family. And hello, Kip Colson. We're indeed honored to have you with us here today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, before we proceed, I remind you listeners of a necessary disclaimer that Kip Colson is not licensed as a financial advisor in all states, does not have access to your personal portfolio, and has not met with each one of you face-to-face to determine your financial objectives, risks, and concerns. Therefore, his comments here today are general in nature and do not necessarily fit your individual and family financial situation. I guess we always have to. Uh, <laughs> you got to do the legal stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Although you're uh, obviously what your book about and what we're talking about is not about specific financial recommendations anyway. Right. Doesn't really matter. Um, in, in your book promotion, you inform us that two primary factors are the cause of the 70% loss of wealth between generations. And what are these two primary factors? Uh, really, the two big things, and this has actually been proven by uh, other people who have done these studies, uh, and they are, number one, a breakdown in communication, and number two, as a result often of the breakdown in communication, then you have a huge breakdown in trust. Yeah. And what we see in families very often is you know, even in the early years, there have been issues, there have been conflicts. And I mean, if you even go back into childhood, a lot of times, uh, the children, as they're growing up, uh, get into squabbles and fights. And sometimes... You got a bigger lollipop than I did. Yeah, exactly. You know, I just I just did an article called uh, What's Going On in Your Sandbox? And it was all about, uh, I want the red pail instead of the yellow pail type of thing. And there's a tug of war that ensues because somebody wants something that the other one has. And unfortunately, a lot of times those even simple little things of life uh, kind of carry forward into adulthood. And then you throw this whole uh, a lot of money onto the table. <laughs> like and all of a sudden, it gets into the water ugly. And the sharks around it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, based upon your almost 25 years as a family financial coach and advisor, can you describe one or two uh, most unfortunate examples of dissension, fighting, greed, and even legal actions uh, when an inheritance has come up for grabs? Yeah, I'll give you one example of a client that we worked with, a business owner or partial business owner along with his brother. Um, He's got three children. Uh, uh, These are now adult children with their own families. And uh, one of the children, unfortunately, has uh, had an alcohol problem. And as a result of that, the actually this kind of worked the other way in that the other two children uh, were who were the sisters and older than uh, this young man yeah. they actually had observed how mom and dad had um, kind of enabled this bad behavior throughout the years by keeping they kept bailing him out yeah. every time he got into a problem so he he goes out and he's uh, doesn't can't really hold a job, so they start a business for him. Well, the business doesn't work. Uh, they help him buy a house, and because the business isn't working, he doesn't have the income to continue to make the mortgage payments, and he's got a family living in that house. Wow. And so then they've got to help bail him out on the mortgage payment, and then pretty soon they sell the house, yeah. and then he goes into rehab, and now they're footing the bill for the um, the, the daughter-in-law and the grandchildren. And oh, wow. 
And the, the problem is, and, and again, the older children, it's not that they're even fighting over the money so much as they were just uh, upset that mom and dad kept uh, actually injuring their brother by continuing to uh, not make him responsible for his life. So that yeah, was one situation. But they weren't really consulted on it either. I mean, and also I would think, loving hopefully that they are, they still would be concerned that uh, mom and dad are, are spending away a good portion of their inheritance for, uh, to support this brother. With the... Yeah, and again, you just struck on, on a really important issue is, they, yeah, they, they, there was no conversation about this. Um, and, and one of the things we try to do is when we start working with a family, once we've we've spent time with mom and dad and learned what all of their issues are, uh, then we start to have family meetings and we start to bring all the children into the room along with mom and dad to get a lot of these issues out on the table because they're not talking about them. And it's yeah. why when I go back to the uh, one of the big problems is the communication. Yeah. Well, these are problems that potentially can be solved if we can just get people to talk about them while they're alive yeah. rather than after mom and dad die. And now the way they try to solve these problems, everybody goes and hires an attorney yeah. and then it gets ugly. Yeah. Well, you advise that the only way to overcome the challenges of transferring wealth between generations and ensuring a lasting family legacy is through, as you call it, a holistic, integrated financial and personal coaching program that builds on cohesive team of all living generations. What should that team look like, and how do we form and uh, form it and launch it? And, and recruit members for it. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Well, let me give you a, a metaphor that I've used because I think it'll answer your question. Uh, the metaphor is uh, the, uh, a railroad. So as I looked at the family situation, we have the family. They're all loaded on. We'll call the family train, and the family train is steaming off into the future, looking for uh, new opportunities. Yeah. And as the family train moves out, it needs to run on railroad tracks. Right? It can't run. On on the bare ground. And so you have uh, one track that is made up of a crew uh, that we call the financial crew, and that would be the people like me, it would be the CPAs, the attorneys, the insurance people, and they're all laying track. The problem is you can't lay and you can't run a, a train on only one track. So now you have this other side, which is the people track, yeah. and it has a crew. And that yeah. crew is made up of the psychologists, the psychiatrists, the family therapists, and so forth. Yeah. And they're laying track, uh, but again, those two crews never talk to each other. So yeah, what happens point. is you you have track being laid in different directions, at yeah. different widths, at different times, yeah. and invariably you get a train wreck. Yeah. So to answer your question, when we look at the team, uh, we are what we refer to as the railroad ties. So yeah. we're there to provide a foundation and to get these two teams communicating with each other so everybody's laying track yeah. in the same direction at the same time. And so uh, the, tr- the the crew, if you will, uh, the team, as you to your question, we've got to have all of the financial people. So we've got to have the right attorney. We've got to have the right uh, CPA. Yeah. Uh, 
then going over to the other side, we want to bring the family therapist or, or relational professional who can deal with these issues. And our job is to see the problems yeah. and then be able to bring the right resources to the table to solve those problems. Yeah. Well, you rightly advise that the team should include all generations as parents of young children or preteens and teenagers, when's the best year to get our uh, year age, I should say, to get our children involved as team members on family finances? <laughs> yeah, let me answer the question this way. Um, what we try to do uh, is we don't we don't really subscribe to the what I'll call the traditional estate uh, planning, where you you do your wills and trust, you divide by the number of children three or four or whatever it is, yeah. and then everybody gets an equal share, mom and yeah. dad die, the kids get all of this money, and they don't have a clue, uh, and they don't have any experience, they don't have any skill set yeah. on how to manage money effectively and be That's good stewards point. of these uh, resources that they're receiving. So what we try to do is, number one, we try to involve them in philanthropy. So, And I oh, use yeah. this generically, is if we can set up a family foundation, then we can bring, while mom and dad are still alive, yeah. we can bring all the children around the table to start talking about how are we going to use this money to make the world a better place. Yeah, because what we know is if you start to involve children in philanthropy and you you start to teach them it's better to give than receive, uh, especially here in where I live in Orange County, California, it's a very wealthy area. Yeah. And these kids here literally grow up in fantasy land. You know, this is the home of Disneyland, right? <laughs> so, And that's kind of what the kids grow up here thinking that, yeah. hey, I'm supposed to have a BMW sitting on the parking <laughs> or in, uh, on the driveway when I turn 16. And it's like... Yeah. No, you got to go out and earn it. So the idea of philanthropy, it teaches them that there's a whole other world out there that don't have the advantages that they have. And we're yeah. really big on what I refer to as boots-on-the-ground philanthropy is what we like to do is get the whole family as an entity or as, an, as a team yeah. to go off and do uh, actual philanthropy like going out, go to Africa and dig a, uh, dig a water well or go down to South America and help build a hospital or church or a school or something. The point is, as, if they go as a team, they start to there, – there's a tremendous bonding ability there that takes place when they're working together and they're helping each other help other people. Yeah, so, well, that's such a good point. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that to add in the – yeah. Well, and again, the idea of working together in this foundation is a foundation is like a business. So it needs tax returns. It needs financial statements. It needs to do the research. Uh, it needs to uh, have teamwork. Uh, now we have, an, again, a platform for teaching the kids how to use their wealth in ways that will help the family. Uh, whereas yeah. before the foundation was kind of helping other people, now it's still yeah. helping the family, yeah. and it can anticipate then 
uh, problems when they come along down the stream because in traditional estate planning, you can't create a document that can possibly anticipate what is going to be happening in a family 10, 20, 30 years from now. Whereas if we keep the money in a format where it is managed by a board of directors composed of the family and some outside advisors that can can make decisions at the moment as the family's environment is changing, because there's going to be births and deaths and marriages and divorces and so forth, now it has a way to keep building on the asset, keep growing it, and helping the whole family uh, um, be even better off and more prosperous than had they distributed out. Yeah. Well, should and, dad and mom remain uh, senior partners with a right to veto? Or, or oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's pretty people. typical in the beginning, yeah. yeah. But again, to your point, no, that's a really good question because what you really want to do and as part of this activity, both in the foundation and uh, this format I'm talking about is if you start that process now, mom and dad can kind of see who is showing um, good management capabilities and responsibilities so that just like in business succession planning, you want to transfer the responsibility to the person who can actually steer the ship and knows how to get it through the storms. And so this is a way to do that. And so you get, and and, and plus identify, and this is something we really are trying to do is we want the family wealth to be used to help every child and every grandchild be significant and successful in whatever they want to be successful in, not have it predetermined. You've been uh, helping hundreds of families prepare these family legacy plans. Can you give us a broad general description of what the legacy plan should look like? You know, what elements should it encompass? uh, encompass? I think you've covered some of them, but... uh... Yeah, that's going to be hard to answer in the sense that, especially when you're working with families, there is no template. There is no one-fits-all because every family is different. Every personality is different. The family, for example, who uh, has a uh, owns a business and a lot of real estate is very different than the family that owns nothing other than their home and some investments. Uh, the family that is composed of two children is very different than the family that has six children. Yeah, um, so yeah, and again, every every family is is so different, and every child and person in the family has different wants and needs, and so we have to. I mean, in a lot of ways, it is very much like psychology, where you're sitting down and you're trying to help each person in the family. And this is what we do is try to create yeah. their own personal mission statement, value statement, and um, uh, vision statement. So oh, I if I were sitting down with you, for example, and we were going through that and helping you create your mission statement, and then I was sitting down, let's say, with your sister, if you were, this was your, a family we're working with, her, yeah. her issues are going to be very different than yours. That's but that true. it doesn't mean any of them are better or or worse than the others. It just means they're different. And some Although kids may want to be. We think a, our plans are better. But <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, again, you know, no, one, I agree. Yeah, one may, one child may want to be a mechanic. He may yeah. not want to go to college, no, but he's a true. he loves cars. And why yeah. wouldn't we want him to be successful at doing that? No, of course. Not. Whereas the one who wants to go to college and become a lawyer. So yeah. 
Well, you tell us that every flock, in chapter 18 of your book, is titled, Every Flock Needs a Shepherd, and that every family seeking to preserve wealth and establish a legacy needs a coach. And what precisely is the coach's function, and how do we find one? <laughs> well, that's a challenge. Well, the, the easy answer is they should call me or email me because there's very few people, uh, quite honestly, that do what we do. Now, there are some, uh, but there are also some that will only focus on the relational side of the people side of the family. Yeah. And then there are some that obviously only focus on the money side of the family. Yeah, they're fi- financial advisors are a dime a dozen. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the problem. They're, they're, yeah, you know, you, if you type in wealth management, management, financial advisor, whatever, uh, in your Google search, you're going to get a lot of people. And that's what I always say. It's, it's unfortunately, what I do, you can't Google me. <laughs> so I really have to be doing what we're doing today is trying to get the word out via these kinds of uh, opportunities. Um, but again, the, the, the idea is, going back to the shepherd idea, is families don't, they, they're not equipped to deal with these issues themselves. If they were, they would have solved them. The problem is uh, families have too much emotion and too much history uh, that they're dealing with that they can sit they can't sit down around the table and deal with these issues rationally plus we have the advantage of being a non-family member so we're objective we yeah. can hear and see things that the family may not see and That's plus we can true. we can say things that and hopefully say them in a way that isn't going to upset everybody around the table and and start to pull those things out. Because remember, communication and trust are the two big things. Well, let's talk about your brand-new book published this May 2018, You Can Have It All. Uh, What is is your book not? You list several things that it's not intended to be. Yeah, it's not intended to be a uh, a, a financial management book in the sense of um, it's it's not going to teach you. uh, There are topics in there, but it's not going to be a book on here's how you create a budget, here's the right mutual funds that you should buy or whatever investments you can do, and here's how you do estate planning and so forth. It's really, for lack of a better term, it's a life planning book uh, around families. So what that book addresses, again, as we've been chatting, is all of those issues that we have seen that affect a family, what are the causes of those issues, and then the book presents, uh, to some degree, what we've already talked about, some solutions on how to deal with those, and also... Uh, again, to, that, that you can't, you shouldn't deal with these things yourselves. You should get some professional help. Yeah. That's really what I the like, book is about. Uh, somewhere in that uh, introduction, you say that it's the wisdom necessary to effectively use wealth to unite family ma- ma- uh, members rather than to, to destroy the family. And I think that's a good way to put it. It, it is, and, and you know, and, and again, just kind of going back to the title for a minute, it says you can have it all: wealth, wisdom, and purpose. And the reason for those three words is the purpose is the most important. So, going back to someone answering your question, actually, that you asked me a little while ago, is if we haven't identified the purpose of wealth, if wealth is just I want more and more and more, 
Sure. That family is not going to survive. No. The purpose of that wealth has to be identified as, again, how does it make the world a better place and how does yeah. it make each member of our family a better person? Once you've done that, you've then you've got to say, well, where does the wisdom come to make that happen. Yeah. We come from a, uh, we went to the Bible. We, we looked at the Bible and said, there's a whole lot of wisdom. And there's some incredible stories about people who didn't manage wealth really well. Yeah. And so can't we learn from how those people made so many mistakes? Um, you know, the, the classic example is uh, uh, the, actually the, the um, prodigal son story. Yeah. Yeah. Dad throws a bunch of money at one child. He goes off and loses it all. This child comes home, and the brother, the older brother, is mad at dad for bringing the younger brother back into the fold. So, yeah. I mean, those are the things that we can talk about. Yeah. And then wealth, I'll very quickly say, <clears throat> we look at wealth as what we call the four T's of true wealth. Uh, and wealth is a resource. It's a, it's yeah. a tool to get you where you want to go. And the four T's are your time, your talent, your training, and your treasures. So what we're trying to do is help a family understand how to use those four four T's of true wealth to solve and accomplish the purpose for which that family has uh, achieved that wealth. Yeah, well, where should the best of our listeners go to preview and purchase your book? Uh, well, first of all, I will give you my, my website is uh, www.familywealthleadership.com. Obviously, you can go there and find out about our company. And also, uh, there's uh, links on there for the book, which will take you to Amazon. So you yeah. can go to Amazon and pick up the book, and you can get it in either a Kindle format or a uh, uh, soft cover format. Yeah, they have a very nice preview on uh, Amazon. I know I checked. Yeah, that. yeah, and then um, uh, and certainly if they want to reach out to to me, they can uh, send me an email at k k o l s o n at familywealthleadership dot com. K k o l s o n. Okay, that's just your name. Yeah, <laughs> at familywealthleadership.com. Yeah. That's right. Well, in conclusion, my guest, Kip Colson, would be the first to tell you that the new book, You Can Have It All, is not how to budget, buy real estate, manage investments, plan for retirement, or save on taxes. Indeed, it's not intended as a self-help book, but it offers extremely useful guidelines for inspiring and encouraging every family member, young and old, to buy into the dual objectives of sustaining and growing family wealth and pulling together as a family unit uh, to avoid the turmoil and bleeding of assets before you and your spouse or after you and your spouse depart, and also, of course, to build that legacy of giving to others to help them out and to make sure that every individual family member has his or her own desires and needs met, and it's so different uh, from the normal financial uh, advice books that are out there, it should and it definitely should be read and retained alongside your favorite "How to Grow Your Assets" self-help <laughs> yeah. resource. Right. It's wonderful to uncover a legacy-building option that you can launch right now before it's too late to conserve and grow assets, so that your wealth will still be there when your grandchildren grow into adults. As yep. Kip 
Colson demonstrates it is doable. And thanks so much, Kip, for taking time to talk with us, and best of success on the sale of your book. Well, thank you, and thank you for helping me get the word out. Now, with advice and guidance from Kip and from the Bible, the world's greatest and most eternal spiritual text, let's go out and begin building our family legacies today. And don't forget helping others along the way, because that's really what it's all about. And we'll talk to you again next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 